Hey, what's going on? This is the Saturday Down South podcast. I am Conor O'Gara. Will, what do you want to talk about today? We'll, we'll spend 60 minutes either on Danny Lewis committing to Alabama after dancing with Brian Kelly or, and I'm just going to guess, you might be more in favor of this choice, or we can talk about Harold Perkins' family dancing like everyone is watching because they were watching. Yeah. The only rule and caveat here that we have is that we have to spend the entire topic, we have to spend the entire day talking about dancing relating signing day topics. So which one do you want? Oh, I'm in. I'm in, bro. I, yeah, I sent you those videos, man. The Harold Perkins thing is like, when he committed, I was like, man, I don't know if I could love this guy more because I'd obviously been like watching his highlights, all that stuff. Somebody tweeted like, y'all gotta watch Harold Perkins IG live. And I hopped on there and I just saw his whole family <laughs> doing like, doing like the Chapa style. Or no, no, they were doing, yeah. they did Chapa style, then get the gat. His whole family had like, I don't know if they planned this. I don't know if they just have that amount of rhythm or cohesion, but literally it, it, it cuts on. Like, it's like his cousins, his mom, like there's like 30 people in this house with like disco balls and like smoke and like, it's insane. And they're all like dancing and you see like, they're all doing like the get the gat and his uncle or whatever just pops up with a Florida hat, laughs at it, throws it up in the air, throws up an Savage. L. They like burned an A&M hat and then like they're all doing like a dance line and then they all part like the Red Sea and Harold Perkins big ass I mean he's like swole you know what I'm saying he just starts like busting a move and I was like oh my god I love this guy I was so happy bro a better choreographed dance than LSU in the White House when it was doing the was was that Chapa style did I that did was get the, get. That get the get oh that was get the get okay with uh with the woman who looks like O.J. Simpson's wife, um, R.I.P. Uh, sorry, <laughs> yeah. didn't need to go there. Wow, too soon. Yikes, oh. way too soon. Hey, her um, son, though, is actually in LSU's recruiting class. Fun fact, Bo Bordelong. Really? Yep. Huh. The, um, the, the man that she was involved with, Nicole Brown, um, we're going back to that, <laughs> of uh, Nicole Brown Simpson, the man that she was involved with was from Buffalo Grove. Illinois, my hometown. Wow, this is just inception yeah. on inception. But yes, to answer right. your question, I think dancing in the White House is always going to be the best because it was in the White House and, and it was just very, Louisiana, we're going to bring the party to you. That was also a high point in my life, honestly. This is true. Uh, yeah, just a, a little short memory ago that was. Have a lot of things today on the schedule. We've got former USC quarterback and current Fox NFL analyst Mark Sanchez coming up in a bit. He was doing a media circuit, but I crammed as much po as I possibly could into about like 12, 13 minutes with him. Uh, we're also gonna talk about HOAs in figuring out today. But first, I wanted to give a shout out to our YouTube channel, Saturday Down South YouTube channel. As some of you know, um, Marler is in a bit of a different role, generating more content on that platform. He's still hosting College Football Uncensored, of course, but we're ramping up some of our in-house uh, stuff across our entire company, not just within the SEC and what we do with Saturday Down South. We've expanded now to having an ACC site with Saturday Road. We have a Pac-12 site, Saturday Out West. So we've got just a ton of different things covered under the Saturday football umbrella. And if you're following us on our YouTube page, Saturday Down South on YouTube, you can see all the stuff that we're doing there, including videos I'll be putting together, uh, as well as the cast interference, which is Marler and I chopping it up about various topics for about 15 minutes, kind of once a week. So if you have not, go subscribe to the Saturday Down South YouTube channel. We have so much great content coming down the pipeline, so do not miss out on that. All right, Will, 
There were some signing day fireworks and I actually came into signing day expecting to do a much different opening here. I was going to explain how Jim Harbaugh was kind of this microcosm for how February signing day has died because six years ago he's got Tom Brady, Derek Jeter, basically everyone famous who has ever worn two pieces of Michigan apparel at the same time. Um, they were at that signing of the stars event back in 2016. And then six years later, of course, Harbaugh was off interviewing for an NFL head coaching job while his staff had the entire, had the day off because the entire recruiting class was already signed, sealed, delivered that whole deal. Harbaugh doesn't take the job with the Minnesota Vikings. It's a little bit of Michael Scott at corporate, whatever you want to call it. Harbaugh comes back to Michigan. So I was going to use that. And I had all of these numbers ready to go about how, in addition to the early signing period, the new transfer portal rules have further minimized the impact of February signing day. But instead, I realized that I was watching something else play out. I was basically watching that scene in the office where Michael Dwight and Andy are pointing the finger guns at each other at the end of the murder episode. Mm -hmm. And I guess Pam was in there too. Um, I'm not going down for this. And then she runs off. I guess that would make Lincoln Riley the Pam in this scenario because he ran away from joining the SEC, yet he still had his pistols drawn by calling out the transfer portal right after he signed Caleb Williams at USC. Yes. Real rich of Lincoln Riley to do that. I said to Marler in our video that we did that Riley is like the pastor with a wild testimony about all these crazy things that he did when he was young, but then like he got married and he started preaching to people about how wrong those things were. Um, Riley, like the other coaches who were involved in that stalemate all spent Wednesday telling their fans exactly what they wanted to hear. Riley, Lane Kiffin, Nick Saban, or Jimbo Fisher as well, all had very notable comments. In this scenario, uh, in case you were wondering, and if your mind went there like mine did, Saban is Michael, Jimbo is Dwight, Lane is Andy. Um, Andy would fit in really well at the Ole Miss campus. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you don't even have to close your eyes to picture that one. You can picture the Nard Dog walking around the square, having himself a good old time. That's, that's very clear. It felt like we were watching an old-fashioned stalemate with everyone pointing guns at everyone else. And depending on who you root for, you're probably all in with certain comments and you probably rolled your eyes at other comments. There was some truth and probably some exaggeration. Lane Kiffin talking about the spending that's going on to sign these classes makes sense. And when you're at a place like Ole Miss, who doesn't have as deep a pockets as others, it makes sense why you would complain, especially about the program who just stole your defensive coordinator. But I couldn't believe that Lane, AKA the dude posing with Jackson Dart in front of an Aston Martin, was out here taking sliced bread's word as gospel about the A&M allegedly forking over $30 million for its class, which in case you haven't heard, was the highest rated in the history of the 247 sports rankings. Lane often shoots from the hip with some of the, the stuff that he shares and he'll just share a lot of different links. But for the most part, I, I think he's pretty calculated in what he does. Running with that, <laughs> felt like a chance for him to roll with the narrative and tell his fan base something that they wanted to hear regardless of if it was true or not, which the more and more I think about it after the points that Billy Lucci brought up on this podcast, the more you realize that nobody in their right mind can actually fork over that kind of money for a recruiting class. And I don't want to hear all this about, oh, A&M and the oil money, all these different things. $30 million for a class? Like that, that's a stadium renovation, all right? Like this isn't exactly the type of stuff that you can just hand out and expect to change the world. So I get why that frustrated Jimbo. 
and seeing Jimbo trending with sliced bread also associated. What a great moment that the internet gave us on Wednesday. I'm not sure that Jimbo realized that sliced bread was the original source for the $30 million rumor on an Oklahoma message board and not actually the person who aggregated the story on brobible.com, but that's beside the point. I'm actually just proud of him for being that online to even know that that's how this stuff works. He, he seems yep. like a I don't have email type of guy, so good for him. Uh, he's got an email, it's a Hotmail account. He logs into it once every two, three years. The secretary just makes sure that it's up and running. But other than that, that's, that's, about, Jim, that's, that's about Jimbo's extensive use of email. He's not on Twitter or anything like that, of course. But yes, he was online enough to be able to, to see that and to hear about that. Jimbo, if you saw his press conference, dude was on a different level. And that three and a half minute clip that came out, boy, he was holding nothing back. You've probably seen it at this point. Um, you saw Jimbo defend his number one class. He clapped back at people like Kiffin, the unnamed Notre Dame vice president, all these people who are saying that AM paid tens of millions of dollars to sign this class. Jimbo was offended and he basically said, how dare you minimize the efforts that our staff made? How dare you ignore the in-game atmosphere that we have? And how dare you pretend that the only reason someone would want to ever go to A&M is because they got a bag to do it. And in that sense, I have no problem with Jimbo defending what he worked tirelessly to build, regardless of how much NIL money was involved. But where I'm not quite with Jimbo is him saying that NIL had nothing to do with this. Jimbo is the same guy who went on Feinbaum a couple weeks ago and talked about how NIL has always existed, it's now just above grade. Mm -hmm. That leads us to Nick Saban, Michael Scott, who told ESPN that, quote, I hear these crazy people on TV who, who say, now you're doing it above board. We never did, we never did it. We never cheated to get a player. We never paid players to come to our school. Will, stop laughing. And now that's actually happening. People are making deals with high school players to go to their school, end quote. If you wanna believe that Nick Saban signed the number one class in the country in nine of the last 11 years without paying a player, you can live in that world, that's fine. I'll instead just accept that it probably happened and if a former Nick Saban assistant like Jimbo Fisher is saying that it happened, then hey, why don't we all just accept this? Why can't we all just be okay with it, right? We're all adults here. <laughs> What's also ironic is that Saban told ESPN, quote, when we start using name, image, and likeness for a kid to come to our school, that's where I draw the line because that's not why we did this, end quote. If you recall, Saban is the same dude who said prior to arriving at SEC Media Days in a room full of high school football coaches in the recruiting rich state of Texas, ironically enough, that his quarterback had already made a million dollars in NIL earnings in a month ahead. Just in a month. And that was ahead of his first season as a starter at Alabama. What we're seeing play out here, this whole deal, this whole stalemate, it's hubris galore. That's what this is. Call it ego, call it self-confidence, call it pride, whatever, it's pure hubris. We're still at this strange place where coaches are resisting the notion that NIL could impact kids more than all those things that they've been selling in living rooms for decades, and then talking about it when they hit the podium to discuss how they assembled their loaded recruiting classes. These coaches are all mad, and now because of this new landscape, they've got an easy thing to point their guns at. 
But really, that's all that's gonna come of this. Because as much as they'd love to think that they're pointing their guns at the NCAA, they really aren't. That's not where their, their anger is focused at. I'd be stunned to see regulations put in place on earning potential. And if you think that the NCAA is about to investigate all these programs who are using NIL, you're out of your mind. This is the office that literally admitted it was too stretched, it was stretched too thin to handle all of the waiver requests from transfers, and that it couldn't anticipate that there would be so many people looking for a waiver to be able to have immediate eligibility, which is why they threw their hands up and said, oh, well, you guys figure it out. Everybody gets immediate eligibility one time as an undergraduate. And oh, by the way, this isn't considered illegal because the NCAA opened up the rules so much that there are now so many ways to tiptoe around the guidelines of the rules and whatever NIL truly is. I listened to Matt Moscone explain this on the LSU Daily. You know Matt, right? Like you've, you've been listening to him for a while as an yes, LSU fan. I'm imagine. actually shocked you brought this up because he, what a day that guy had yesterday. Go, go on. Yes. This is, and this is really interesting. And, and uh, Matt does great work and we're, I'm long overdue to, to have him on the podcast and get him on our airwaves. But Matt said that he got access to, to one of these offer sheets. Mm-hmm. And he said that Jacoby Matthews, the four-star safety from Louisiana, had an offer worth $100,000 per year over four years from A&M. But the way that it's structured, it's not necessarily $100,000 cash. It's like the Wheel of Fortune thing, where if you get the prize puzzle round and you win the trip, the value of that is added into your total earnings. Mm-hmm. So they'll say like, it's worth $7,500. And then they add that into whatever like cash earnings that you have your value right there. So there's also you know things like rental car allowance that's worked into the package. And it makes the cash value around $80,000 per year, according to Matt. And half of that is paid 60 days into the first semester at AM. That was the reported offer sheet for Matthews. Matt also said that Perkins decommitted from AM because of the way that the deal was set up. And that's why he expected him to end up at LSU. And little did we know at the time that it was going to create this great viral dancing video that we saw of him. Mm-hmm. Um, that, uh, that deal, according to Matt, was $125,000 per year over four years, but the structure had less cash and it wasn't a lump sum. There are ways to, to write this off because you can just say company X is connected to it. And as long as the player does X, Y, and Z to fulfill whatever company is essentially sponsoring these deals, that money will continue to roll in and you can write it off and you're within the guidelines of the rules technically. If the thought of hearing that made your stomach churn because it isn't for the good of the sport, I've got some more stomach churning news for you. These coaches might get up there and pretend like they care about the good of the sport, but they're just telling you what you want to hear. And they're doing everything in their power to make sure that they have the most talent possible work walking through their doors. That's it. Mm -hmm. That's really what this is all about. We probably should have expected this type of reaction at the top of the rankings in the first real NIL cycle. Maybe it was the fact that it was A&M who came in and became the first, you know, Jimbo becomes the first head coach not named Nick Saban or Kirby Smart to sign the number one overall class since 2010. Will, your trivia question for the day, and don't look ahead at the notes. Okay. Your trivia question for the day is a two-parter. Uh, three, we'll, we'll do three parts, three parts here. Who was that last number one class not coached by Nick Saban, Kirby Smart? But you said 2010 is the year? 2010 is the year. Um, it's not Urban Meyer at Florida, is it? My friend, it is. 
That's exactly who it is. Another question, who was the top recruit in that class? Oh man, I've looked back at that recruiting class and it had a lot of guys that didn't actually really go anywhere. I'm gonna guess like, oh, Spikes was already there. Um, gosh, I don't know. Ronald Powell. Right, yep, that makes a lot of sense. Ronald Powell, who was drafted by the Saints. Mm-hmm. Was, wasn't sure if you're gonna be able to get that one. Only spent a year with them. Right, so yeah. That's, that's a little bit of a tougher, tougher one to answer. Uh, quadruple bonus points if you can tell me the last pro team that he played for. Oh, Ronald Powell, let me uh, say the Jets? It's a trick question, it's the Orlando Apollos. <laughs> Come on, bro. <laughs> that was like the other day though, like, good for that guy. Yeah, 2019, it was like three years after he was uh, out of the NFL. But anyways, so I, I absolutely think some of the the clapping back that you're hearing is because somebody else is doing it who doesn't have that historic level of success. Jimbo certainly feels that way. Mm-hmm. And regardless of how this class was assembled, the target on AM's back has never been bigger. Those national championship or bust conversations are now louder than ever. This is no longer like when Jimbo got the plaque. And I know I, I jokingly asked Billy, uh, Billy Lucci about that when we had him on uh, last week. Like, and I said, hey, you know, when can we expect uh, Jimbo to, to fill in the rest of that sentence? And reality is, every number one class dating back to 2011 has at least played in a national championship. And that includes Alabama's 2021 class who just played in the title game after it was the number one class. AM has now put together four consecutive top 10 classes. I've got another trivia question for you coming up in a minute here. I went back and I found all the instances in which a program had four consecutive top 10 classes during the 2010s decade. So the cutoff is 2019 for that. It can't be like, oh, 2018 into 20, or 2019 into 2022, like what A&M currently, that's the street that it is on. Mm-hmm. And I made the cutoff at 2019 because the 2019 class, as crazy as it sounds, is now draft eligible. So you can kind of see the results and the way that it's played out with some of these classes. Mm-hmm. So um, does that kind of make sense here? We're talking about classes in the top 10, four consecutive years during the 2010s decade. And my question to you, based on what you know about recruiting and this assumption that it's kind of the same teams at the top every year, I want you to tell me how many programs had four consecutive top 10 classes during the 2010s decade. And keep in mind, Alabama only counts as one, even though obviously like Alabama had a 10 year streak with a top 10 class during the decade. Okay, let's see. So obviously Alabama's one, Georgia, Ohio State. Correct, correct. Uh, Clemson. Incorrect. Oh, never did it. How about that, LSU? Yes, LSU did it once, yes. Um, let's see, four years, let's see, there's got to be an obvious one I'm missing here. Uh, 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 oh, did FSU do it? FSU did do it, that is correct. Okay. Yes, and so that's five. I feel like, I feel like I'm missing like one more. I'm going to say Michigan. Not quite, Michigan. not a bad guess, mm-hmm. not a bad guess. Um, there are two others who have done it, okay. two others. So seven total. The two others who have done it, USC did it from 2014 to 2018. Wow. And this is the one that's gonna blow your mind. Auburn did it from 2013 to 2017. Does, does that surprise you? Because I saw that, that number seven. And I, I, I thought it would be more. I, and there, there are a lot, there are a handful of teams, Oklahoma being one of them, who had like three in a row during the decade. I think Notre Dame kind of hit three. Um, Clemson might've been one of those teams as well. 
Um, I, I just kind of thought it'd be more. And I, I think I assumed, well, you know, if you're a premier program, you have a coach that lasts longer than four years and mm -hmm. a program like Georgia and LSU can actually keep a, that streak alive, even though it goes through a coaching change. Like that's how foolproof their system is to be able to continue to recruit. But I bring that up because think about that list. 65% of the national championship berths in the 2010s decade were from those teams. Six of those seven teams played for a national title during the 2010s. The one who didn't was USC, who most recently shelled out a nine-figure salary for its new head coach, who is just beside himself that these transfer portal rules aren't being regulated because gosh darn, it's tough to build a roster when you're poor old Lincoln Riley. By the way- Gosh darn, they Lincoln, haven't gotten their infrastructure set up. Give me a year. <laughs> yeah, give me a year. Um, I, maybe, maybe next year Lincoln Riley will improve on the 12 Power 5 transfers that he already has signed. Mm -hmm. 12, all right? I don't want to hear about building a roster. But back to the main point here. Jimbo is now in as good of a position as he could have ever asked for when he took this job. Remember, this is the guy who kept telling his administration at Florida State that they were slipping behind with the facilities and it was gonna come back to bite him in the latter part of the decade if they didn't ramp things up in a hurry. Say what you want about Jimbo as an X's and O's guy, and we've had plenty of criticism of him on this podcast for the way that he's handled quarterbacks, if he's overrated when it comes to being able to develop them, all those different things. But the guy understands how this works. And if you're gonna sign the number one class and tell the world, quote, you don't like that we're coming on, get used to it because we ain't going nowhere. Buddy, you better know that we're gonna criticize you now more than ever. Two losses before November, it's time to fire somebody. Two score loss to Alabama, tell us why you didn't have your team ready to go. It is crazy to see a program that hasn't won a division title this century have these expectations. And sorry, if you're an A&M fan, you're listening to this and you're like, oh, what about 2010? That's a shared division title. Tell me who played in the Big 12 championship because it wasn't A&M. That's what happens when you pay a coach like that and that's what happens when you recruit like that. Will, anything to add to that? Whew. Yeah, that is. That was uh, a lot. A lot. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, first off, like, I'm okay. So, I think the biggest point there is that basically coaches don't want to believe that money is more powerful than all these platitudes they sell people. And we, yes. And we've talked about this, you know, specifically with Dabo, that he just believes that, you know, if you say a couple of platitudes, everyone just wins games and it figures it out. And I think that college football is changing. And honestly, man, I feel like if you're Nick Saban, and especially if you're Jimbo Fisher, you just need to lean into it. Like, honestly, just walk out with, like, Money Talks by ACDC playing in the background and just, like, you know, have your microphone be like, let's go. Like, just act like uh, Leo and uh, Wolf of Wall Street. Because at the end of the day, here's the thing about money, man. You either have it or you don't. And if you're A&M, you have it. And so at the end of the day, I don't know why it's time to be ashamed of that. Uh, you know, we all slander A&M because of their performance on the field. And I think that's more than warranted. And it's obvious to see, okay, what have all these other teams done? Why would you pick A&M over Clemson, Alabama, yeah. Georgia, Ohio State? Nothing, they've done nothing better than those teams. Just to be honest with you, the only advantage they have over those teams is money. And so if you see, okay, boom, now they're this number one recruiting class blowing not only those teams, but historically those teams. A better recruiting class than Alabama has ever had. A better recruiting class than Urban Meyer has ever had at Florida or Ohio State. What's the common denominator there? It's not their facilities. Clemson has those facilities. Alabama has those facilities. Georgia, it's not the student atmosphere, okay? A&M was doing okay under Kevin Sumlin and such, but not, not like this. And so at the end of the day, why do you feel the need to lie? Why are we still under this you know, 
this this cape of oh we got to pretend it's like taboo. Yeah, under this taboo, it's like why are we still under this cape of you know Shamar Stewart being like um, oh you know I, I decided today I don't know it was just maybe if I would have had time it would have been Miami dude you got a bag bro and like that's fine if you're A and M why are you not advertising this I'd be like yo come to A and M get a bag man. Like, hey, we got all this stuff. That's fair. You know what I'm saying? We got everything that everybody else has, and you get a bag. You get a bigger bag here than everybody else. I'm so happy that you brought up the Moscona thing because I was just going to skip that because I wasn't going to be able to articulate that in a way that wouldn't get it brought up on message boards. And so I appreciate you really writing down the numbers. Going, I think it's an interesting concept. Yeah. It's really interesting context when you actually hear, look, this is... This is kind of what's being presented. It's right. not really that secretive. If like I'm not like doubting Matt's Matt's chops in this field and, and his ability to kind of get his hands on that, but like if he's able to get his hands on something like that and it's like that kind of easy, this is somebody who has relationships with the parents of recruits and stuff like that. He has recruits on on his show all the time. Then like, hey, it's kind of out there and it mm -hmm. doesn't have to be this top secret sort of McDonald's bag Jeremy Pruitt operation. Right. You know? That's not what we're talking about anymore. And I think we're transitioning into this time where we're we're still trying to figure out how to talk about it. Right. That's what this comes down to. And we're having I say we the the college football landscape is having a tough time kind of separating some of those those different things. And I I don't know if that's going to change next year or the year after that. I don't know how we're going to talk about recruiting five years from now if it's going to be a bit more open. Um, it, it's it's almost like having adult conversations with your parents mm -hmm. in a way. Like there are certain elements of that where you're like you you don't want to talk about your parents about like you know the, the things the adult things you know your sex life or something like that. But at the same time, it's like well there there are certain things that that are just kind of happening and it's not illegal. They're just things that happen like as you get older and as things develop and like that's just the world that we're living in now. Connor, when a program and a recruit love each other very much. <laughs> A bag is exchanged. <laughs> and that bag is a representative of that love. Look, but here's the thing. Georgia spent $3.6 million on recruiting last year. Those numbers according to USA Today. Michigan spent $1.4 million. What did we see play out in the Orange Bowl? What did, what did we see? A beatdown. Yeah. The one, one team that spent two and a half times as much on recruiting had more talent and with a month to prepare, we saw that play out. College football has been capitalism. It will continue to be capitalism. It's capitalism in a different way now. Right. And for whatever reason though, we have not totally flipped that switch yet where it's just okay to talk about what's being presented because I think maybe there's maybe, and maybe some of this too is coaches don't want this to come back to bite them. And all of a sudden it's kind of out there that this program is doing this and then it raises the value of some of these deals as well. That's, that's another yeah. reason why I think some of these deals are kept quiet. And that's a point that Billy brought up that I think is perfectly valid. The more these things kind of get out there that, oh, player X got this, then player Y is gonna come in and demand this. We're heading in that direction with the pay for player. And I know this is like really, really big picture with some of these things. But I would like to think, and maybe this is just wishful thinking, that we will eventually get to a point where it's not so accusatory and mm -hmm. we're not seeing all of these different coaches point the finger and demand regulation for this, for this, for this, when technically they're all playing the same game. I'm not saying yes. everybody's playing with the same pool of money, but if we're all operating under the same guidelines, so to speak, then sooner or later, it's your job to be able to make do with that. 
that that'd be my point. And and how rich is it that it's all really like the Nick Saban coaching tree, right? It's Leighton Kiffin, it's Jimbo Fisher, <laughs> right. it's Kirby Smart, and they all just point at each other. It's like, come on, bro, <laughs> like come on, bro, like not gonna be this it's guy. The Michael Scott coaching. Yeah, tree. like yeah. Na- like no one's gonna, exactly no one's gonna throw Saban under the bus, but it's like we all know how to do this. We are all learned from the best at this. So it, like and if you expose one thing, another thing comes out. But to your point, man, like. There's two truths, I feel like, that just are truths. There's just no, you know, whatever about this. Number one, it's not NIL, okay? It's pay for play. Because if I'm a business owner, right? Like, you know what I'm saying? I own an LLC, right? If I want to get my production company, you know, Athon Films, you want to... Sick brag, by the way, that you got an LLC. Right. Just throwing that out there. I love it. <laughs> Let's just say as a business owner, I mean, we, you know, we're not, we're not, we're not booking in A&M numbers, right? I'll just tell you that right now. But let's say that I want to be like, okay, boom, I want to make a deal with an athlete. Kind of like walk-ons did the other day with Miles Britton. <laughs> just, if you haven't seen that video, it's, it's incredible and horrible. But that... Their papa shot. Yeah, that, that whole deal. Yeah. I know Marler was very frustrated with that after he was able to to have a, a lot of success at that specific walk-ons pop a shot now he feels like it was violated by miles brennan but yeah. yes anyway so miles brennan like that's a two-way street that's we're a business we want to shake hands with you we get something you get something that's very different from pay for play pay for play is i'm going to write a check to an offensive lineman who no one is going to know his name and he might go in the first round in three years and i might see something here but that's a donation at the end of the day there's a donation through university to a kid, and there's nothing wrong with that. And like I said, we need to bring that out into the forefront and say, and 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 like you said, maybe part of that is to keep that free market down. But we need to say, hey, you know, if this kid didn't choose your school, there's, you know, it, it doesn't. It's not because he hates your school. It's because the bag was bigger, and that's fine. It's here's here's point number two. It's legal. It's honestly always been legal. The FBI, the <laughs> federal government, and I mean, you could launder money like SMU did, but unless you're being ridiculous, you know what I'm saying, like. Paying someone to play college football isn't really a federal crime. Now you can, if you get angry and if there are guys who have gone to these universities, they want to like, you know, call it different things. But ultimately, you know, there's nothing illegal about this. So anyone who's saying to your point, A&M is going to get the the microscope on it. They're going to get the SMU treatment. It's like, for what? For what? Like I saw somebody in one of my LSU chats, like we got to pass a law to where A&M can't come in here and give our guys money. It's like that they're paying a human to take a job in Texas. There's nothing illegal about that. There's nothing you can do. It's just like how Texas and Florida don't have state income tax. No one can stop them. That's right, buddy. Right, oh, facts. <laughs> yeah, we're feeling the two different sides of that. But, Let's uh, go. Exactly, exactly. So it's like, that's like saying NBA teams can't structure co- contracts differently for the Heat versus, you know, the Knits. It, it's just, it's ridiculous to think that, oh, well, like this team can't, abide by their state's laws and take someone to go work for them essentially so yeah like i said i I think we're about a year or two from finding a real equilibrium here but my overall point is if you're a a team that can spend if you're a team that can do this be proud because it's a have and a have nots thing and if you're and you're a have and some of these things that make me sad in the big picture are you know these teams like you know boise state or whatever uh that we grew up loving maybe they're not going to have as much leverage you know but at the same time that was always kind of the case and those guys who come up through the schools talking about guys like cleo mack coming out of buffalo and such those guys are always going to be there so at the end of the day you know recruiting is never perfect there are a bunch of guys we just talked about that florida class and like go back through that florida class in 2010 it's not not a lot of guys that you're like wow yeah game changer guy you know what i'm saying a lot of jimbo's classes didn't really translate to the nfl specifically at uh, fsu so you know talent evaluation is hard so it's going to make it more haves and have nots 
But, you know what I'm saying? The NCAA has given up. They don't care about you. They don't exactly. care about your team. Exactly. They don't care about your problems. So the FBI can't do anything and the NCAA won't. So just live in life. Live in the present. Be thankful for your life and the roof over your head because this is where we're at, okay? You, you, there's just no clock ticking on this thing. I always want to know how long they actually took to, to shoot that scene in the office with Michael, Dwight, and Andy. Mm-hmm. Uh, how long they stayed in there and how long they had acted out. And the difference between that and uh, the current, you know, the current landscape of college football is that Michael, Dwight, and Andy aren't just going to mimic shooting each other and fall to the ground and have blood spilling out of them and, and all those different things. The, the, you know, it, it feels like this stalemate is going to continue to last with the heavy hitters at the top of the recruiting rankings. Mm-hmm. All right, let's kick it to Mark Sanchez. I had never talked with uh, with Mark before. No, I did not ask him about the single most overrated blooper in NFL history. Oh, wow. Well, yes. Of you hate the butt fumble. Uh, yeah, that, did, that did not come up. I was no desire to ask that whatsoever. If you need more coverage of that, go like turn on ESPN from the 2010s or something like that. They're probably still talking about it. Um, yes, though, we did talk about Lane Kiffin, and I think I need to retire asking guests about Wordle because it's all over social media. And I, I look, I'm, I'm not one of those people like tweeting out my scores or anything like that. But um, yeah, that, that's 0 for 2 that we are now with asking guests about Wordle so much just have to retire that one. Anyways, here is Mark Sanchez. I'm now excited to be joined by a very special guest. It is Fox NFL analyst and former USC quarterback, Mark Sanchez. Mark has teamed up with Papa John's to celebrate its New York style pizza and fans unique rituals with a giveaway of the best prize in pizza through February 16th. Fans can share their pizza eating style on Twitter or Instagram with hashtag what's your style, hashtag sweepstakes for a chance to win free pizza for a year. Uh, Mark, you had me at free pizza for a year. Is the winner <laughs> of this, is is this going to be going to the person who's got the most unique p- pizza ritual or how is this going to work? Uh, that's a really good question, but basically they want to see what your style is, right? This is the New York style pizza. And they know obviously Super Bowl Sunday, the number one day for pizza orders. They know you got your loyalty to a fan base and you got your loyalty to your type of pizza. And overwhelmingly New York style pizza takes the cake, man. They, everybody likes it. Folded in half. Don't use a fork and knife, please. Connor. <laughs> That's bad, dude. No, we, we don't can't do, do that. that. But, but they know, they know how to make Super Bowl great. And this is, this is the way you do it, man. You got to get that garlic sauce, get it all, all over your fingers, then touch the remote, turn the volume down, you know, mess up the whole thing. It's all worth it. I love it. Okay. So a, a little birdie told me that like a quarter of West coast people go crust first. You're a West coast guy. Are you a crust first guy? No, that's West coast. Weird dude. I'm out on that. No okay, way. Good. Good. Yeah. I, I, I figured that you weren't that type of guy. Oh, we'll get to the butter sauce question later. Um, I, I do have two specific areas that I want to cover with you. We're talking on national signing day. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people would look at your recruitment and say probably pretty cut and dry five-star recruit from California. Of course you go to USC to be the next Carson Palmer, the next Matt Liner. Were you ever not going to end up at USC or if it was pretty straightforward, What's a recruiting story that people maybe not, maybe might not know about you? Oh gosh, I got a bunch, but I, I tripped to other schools uh, in the summer going into my senior year, Notre Dame, uh, Ohio state and Texas. I went up to UCLA as well. SC was, you know, the front runner, of course, at that time, Norm Chow, Pete Carroll, uh, Ed Ogeron, Steve Sarkeesian were all there. 
And that was just the quarterback factory. If you're in SoCal, you don't leave, you go to USC. And hopefully that's the new trend as of, you know, now with Lincoln Riley. But I remember going to uh, Ohio State. We're at the Horseshoe. They put my high school highlight tape on the big screen. They had the band there. I got my Ohio State 6 Sanchez jersey. And they put Keith Jackson's voice talking about uh, talking over my highlight tape. They snipped that's cool. a bunch of copies and they said the young sophomore from Southern California, <laughs> you know, and it was awesome. I, I mean, I was ready to go to Ohio state. I was ready to be a Buckeye. Just tell me where to sign, you know? And we went into coach Trestle's office and uh, he's got the sweater vest on. And he said, um, you know, it's great. Every year we play Michigan right around Thanksgiving and the last 10 years in a row, it snowed for game day. It's great football weather. And I was like, what? <laughs> I looked at my dad. I was like, did he just say it snowed? Nah, I'm out on that. <laughs> you know, yeah. Little did I know I'd be on just about every East Coast cold team <laughs> with New York and Philly later in my career. But that was, that was a deal breaker. And uh, if he wouldn't have said that, I probably wouldn't have thought twice about it. And uh, I, I might have been a Buckeye. But um, it was pretty funny how, uh, how that really changed my mind. I was going to say, I definitely remember being at like a Bears-Jets game uh, in Chicago, like 2011, I think that would have been. Right around Christmas, yeah. Yeah, and you were like freezing We lost, tail. but we clinched the playoffs that day. I remember, and I remember being yeah. very happy as a Bears fan the way that yeah. it, the way that it played out. But yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm sure like the, all those things, like those memories, probably seem like so long ago for you. But at the same time, like you keep very close tabs on current USC quarterbacks, and it is such a unique fraternity. Jackson Dart, a guy who just left the USC yep. quarterback fraternity, Ole Miss, right? He's going yeah. to Ole Miss. Going to Ole Miss, leaving uh, you leaving USC to join with with Lane Kiffin, of course. Um, what was your reaction to kind of seeing that play out? And do you think those two, Lane Kiffin, Jackson Dart, will be able, Jackson Dart will be able to, to gel? Well, it was too bad because, you know, you're so excited about Lincoln Riley. And immediately I thought, gosh, I think Jackson Dart would do great in that system. But if you can bring over a kid that already knows the system and Caleb Williams, and as soon as there were rumblings of that, it sounded like both parties understood and the writing was on the wall and they were they were upfront, which, you know, I would appreciate in Jackson's situation. Um, so you got to make a move and, and that's just kind of the in vogue thing to do nowadays. But listen, with Lane Kiffin, I mean, he's going to throw for a million yards, going to have a million completions. He's going to see a lot of football and be, you know, ready to go to that next level and throw the ball around the yard, man. That's, that's a really good spot for him. I think, uh, I think, you know, you saw what Lane Kiffin could do with, with Matt Corral. Uh, I think Jackson Dart has a higher ceiling than, than Matt Corral. And, um, I mean, that you, you get a quarterback who can process and move around a little bit and deliver the football accurately. Lane Kiffin's like – it's like playing a video game, man. He, he'll dial them up just like Steve Sarkeesian. Those two are the best, in my opinion, two of the best coordinators in ball. And um, he, he's going to be really successful there. Do you have a, a first interaction story with Lane? Because I got to imagine meeting him and meeting him back in the day, kind of before, like as he's on this rise, was a yeah. unique experience. Do you remember kind of what it was like to meet him for the first time? Uh, Kip, well, recruiting, he was great. But once I got there, I was a highly touted recruit, like five-star guy, whatever. But I came in, just kind of kept my head down, didn't you know, try and draw any attention to myself, but Kiff was a jerk. <laughs> he was, he coached the receivers was the passing game coordinator. And he couldn't wait for me to get stuff wrong in meetings. He couldn't wait for me to miss a ball. 
uh, and be like, you know, this ain't Mission Viejo anymore. Just he was always like, and it was a tough love, which I came to find out. But he was just, he rode me so hard. Man. I was like, this guy's a jerk. I remember telling Sark, I'm like, this guy's an asshole, man. I, I don't understand. <laughs> like, what's the deal? I thought we were all in this together. I thought we we're trying to win ball games. Why is he such a jerk? And I've had some tough coaches before, but man, it just feels like he's really got it out for me. And then as soon as I became the starter, uh, everything totally flipped. And uh, he was so loyal, um, you know, so supportive. And I really appreciated those first couple years of, you know, and kids don't get to do that anymore. There's something to be said for sitting, waiting, watching Matt Liner, John David Booty, uh, and then getting your chance to go play, really understanding the offense and why you call certain plays and the play caller's purpose and intent on certain situations. That's really important stuff. And uh, I got a lot of time with Kiff and those receivers throwing after practice, learning from him, uh, his dad obviously coming around practice a lot, learning defenses understanding football. So, um, a, a lot of my success is attributed to lane and, and, uh, those years at USC before I played. I know hindsight is 2020, but like looking back, you didn't really become the guy until year four. If the yeah. current portal rules existed back then and 21 year old Mark Sanchez has a decision to make, would you have transferred from USC? You know, it's hard because I competed. I remember competing with John David. I felt like we were, you know, neck and neck. I think there were, you know, some politics involved with that because if you get an out-of-state kid, you never get another out-of-state quarterback if you let the in-state guy play right away. Um, I think Coach Carroll knew that I was going to catch up to John David at some point and maybe wasn't quite there yet. A safer bet to go with John David and a veteran guy who's had some experience. Um, but, gosh, <sighs> I don't, I don't know. It's, it's really too bad. I, I do think there's something to waiting your turn and, yeah. and, you know, really sticking it out. Look at the guys, even at the next level, who've done it, the Steve Young's of the world, the Aaron Rodgers of the world, who've really had to wait and learn and go, you know, understand what it's like to travel to games, figure out a pregame routine before your first game, you know, in Houston on the road with the Jets. Like, I didn't really have a pregame routine. I, I remember forgetting to tape my ankles for the game. I was so nervous for the game. I didn't even think about it. Ran out on the field, no taped ankles for the first time in my life. So just silly stuff like that, that you get to iron out because you have your time waiting and watching and learning. I want to get you out of here on these, these rapid fire. The just first thing that comes to mind, we'll run through these real quick. All right. You, you finished this sentence. Lincoln Riley wins a national title in the year. What? 20, 23, 24. Okay. You, uh, who made you the most starstruck when they came to a USC practice? Ooh. Will Ferrell, Snoop Dogg. Yeah. I put Mark Sanchez on the sidelines for a college football Saturday or an NFL Sunday. What are you picking? Oh, gosh. And we're talking big time college football. We're not talking like. You know, we're not talking about Max. Hey, don't give me a hard like time about the old Pac-10, okay? <laughs> <laughs> you went there, not um, me. Gosh, nowadays I'm just so so much closer to the NFL, I guess. So I, I'd say NFL, an NFL playoff game. There's nothing like it. I mean, I love college bowl games. Don't get me wrong. The Rose Bowl has a special place in my heart. But an NFL playoff game, man, that is that is a great atmosphere. All right, we'll spin that with the, the Joe Burrow quote about SEC stadiums louder than Arrowhead, all that. Um, I haven't seen you post any scores, but do you currently have a Wordle streak right now? 
Excuse me? A wordle streak. It's it's all the all the rage. It's the word game, the five letter word game that all, all the kids are playing and posting about and stuff like that. It's a big deal on Twitter. Is it like word with words with friends? Better, I think. And better in what way? What how else do you improve it? You only play it once a day. It's very quick. Oh. Um, it's 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 an easy game to be able to kind of digest, kind of gets the brain going in the morning a little bit. I'm gonna take that as a okay. no though. You're not on that. I, I don't I don't have it. Um but I did hear, and maybe this is, I misunderstood this, but spelling is not a measure of intelligence, but I'm not totally <laughs> sure. Right, fair enough. Last one for you. What is a, uh, a respectable number of garlic dipping sauces to order per pizza? <laughs> I'm asking for a friend slash my wife. <laughs> you got to go with at least three yep. just in case, because I'm the guy who would dip and then I'm kind of watching the TV. I fold dip and then spill one. So you got to just chalk one up as a loss. And then you got your two backups. It's just like having a good quarterback room. Got to have another arm available, a guy who, who knows what he's doing. So that's the way I use the garlic (laughs) dipping sauce. Mark, this has been great. Uh, Everyone should share their pizza eating style on Twitter or Instagram with hashtag. What's your style hashtag sweepstakes for a chance to win free pizza for a year. Really, really appreciate the time, man. Yes, sir. Thanks. Connor. What's my destiny mom. You're going to have to figure that out for yourself. Life is a box of chocolates, Forrest. You never know what you're going to get. Figuring it out, we're talking HOAs today. That is Homeowners Association for those maybe not so big on the acronyms. Will, your neighborhood has a pretty strict HOA, if I recall, correct? Uh, they're not strict. I'm just in one, um, un- unwillingly. I, so Brittany works, he's a paralegal in a real estate like firm. And we like put this question up last night and I sat there dude for like 30 minutes grilling her on how we can be legally held accountable to HOAs. I was like, wait, so it was like, like those memes where they like, go back and forth and it's like, hold on. So like, I, I have to sign this if I buy this house. Yes, what if I don't sign it? Can't buy the house. Who enforces this? The government. Who starts it? Your neighbors. So how do your neighbors get to act as the government? And like, it was just a very funny time. I, I okay. literally, we just love societies in America. We just love having little, little like things that we can belong to. And I just really got into the nuts and bolts of this last night. And I'm even more mad. Ours isn't strict, thankfully, but I pay money to it. And I don't like everyone in the comments was like, we don't really get ish out of this <laughs> it's like yeah you really don't do you uh, are we talking uh, a few hundred a month are we talking like a few hundred a year uh, a few hundred a year and it's, it's low for atlanta like uh, to be fair my neighborhood is awesome and they're very chill that's why i love where i'm at get any closer inside the perimeter buddy and your your responsibilities go up your fees go up yeah yeah okay so this past weekend i went to my first hoa meeting oh boy we went because it was the, the yearly recap of kind of what was going to be, be going on. And we are, as I've said on this podcast, relatively new homeowners, bought our place in the fall of 2020. Mm-hmm. And fortunately, our HOA is, I think, the bare minimum. It, it is really not a whole lot. A couple hundred bucks a year. We, we basically went to this meeting just to learn about the types of things that that were discussed. And while Lauren was obviously the one who made the initial effort, we both like to be informed people. Um, it, it's, everyone gets this paper copy 
of what exactly the costs are going to in our neighborhood, right? Like they come around your door, they hand you, they say, hey, this is what's being spent here, 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 blah, blah, all those things. When you go to the meetings though, you get to hear why certain money was spent this way and why certain money was spent that way. And it's a human being saying this instead of just this random piece of paper. So just to, to kind of paint a picture here, we have 40 houses in our development and our HOA is really to maintain our entranceway, to make sure that our mailboxes don't suck and to keep other houses in line so that property values don't dip as a result of one person ruining it for everyone. More on that in a little bit, but everybody knows kind of what I'm talking about here. Right. I think there were nine of us total who were at this, uh, this meeting in person, that's it. And it was held at our local library. Attendance, not great. <laughs> That means your I totally get it. Like though. triple though, that you could be an oligarch in this HOA. Right? You just got to second motions and do stuff like that. I get why attendance wasn't great though, because it, it, it definitely frustrates our HOA board because they want better attendance, but they also have such small fees, and it's probably a sign that you're doing your job if you don't have 100 people crammed into a room ready to tee off on you, right? Like right, it's, yeah. It's a little bit of a give and take. What I found out that, uh, what, I, what I took away from this day was I, I am actually interested in this. I am legitimately interested in this, and my, my perception of HOA has changed a little bit. Specific to my HOA, not specific to HOA in general, but specific to mine. Oh, I'm gonna give uh, it not to you like if a, you will be the president of the HOA. I, I, right? I, I, I see it coming in the future. There's, you're gonna be in front of a little podium. It's like, why is Connor talking about uh, uh, fake injuries in college football again? What we, <laughs> why is he bringing this up? <laughs> We're gonna get an outside person to do our taxes this year. We're going with uh, we're going with different than than your typical neighborhood bank. We're gonna go with a private accountant, make it happen. Mm -hmm. I've thought about this. That's a more cost-effective way. Trust me, you'll thank me later. No. Um, if next door is the virtual way to keep tabs on your neighborhood, this is kind of the in-person way, the the old-fashioned way, mm -hmm. and. I came away from it being like, all right, this I, I get why somebody would want to go to this. By the way, Lauren and I were new, obviously, to going. This was our first time going, so we got a little bit of extra attention, and it also helped that we were pretty easily the youngest people there. Um, so they they asked us stuff like, what do we have to do to get more people here so that we can have more input and not just people complaining or saying this or saying that. We wanted to truly feel like a community, which I get. And Lauren brought up the point of, well, you probably don't need to spend money on envelopes and stamps and paper to go around to each house telling people that there's gonna be a meeting. She suggested a website, an email list, at the very least, maybe Facebook page that wouldn't cost anything. What a fitting way for the local millennials to establish their presence, right? Like that's, <laughs> how else would we be, be known amongst the HOA community? Of it's like, course. look, you guys are looking for solutions. One of you is a college football writer, the other is a PR <laughs> professional. You will get those answers. <laughs> don't ask if you don't want them. We're gonna figure out some problems here. That's what we're here to do. Uh, you know, look, I, we, we got into topics that I have never really spent more than a few seconds thinking about, like hiring a collection agency, who isn't paying their dues, how many people paid extra money so that they could cover those people who weren't paying Wait, their did dues. They, did they like call people out individually? They didn't mention people by name, 
but they brought up the person to where everybody in the room but us knew who it was. Oh, no. So now we're going to go back and try and learn who it is. Investigative they, journalism, man. This is, I'm telling you, you're going to be the president of this thing. We're going to get to the bottom of this mystery. We, Lauren and I both came away thinking like, oh, who do you think it is? We got a whole school we do mystery on our hands, boys. There's one person that if you do some quick math, you realize they haven't paid in like tens of years. Like a long time. They, they just have never paid. They, they just said, oh, I don't like HOA, so I'm just never going to pay it. Mm-hmm. And they have they, they showed the number of the, the the money that that's owed as a result of these people not paying you know and and the the amount of money that was covered by other people who stepped up and said like oh I'll contribute a hundred bucks here a hundred bucks there just to make sure that we're not dipping into you know dipping into to money that should be spent on upkeep of the community all those different things right so my perception changed in part because I was, I was bracing for that meeting like I was going to the dentist. And I quickly realized that I was just in a room with people who live in our neighborhood, who care, but not to a level where they're knocking on my door and telling me how to take care of my yard. Right. Very, very different. If that is your HOA experience, and we're gonna get to some of these comments in the Facebook group in a minute here. If that's your HOA experience, I cannot relate to you yet, and I will not pretend to. But if we're just talking about the bare minimum here, I am starting to see at least the merits, some of the merits of HOA when used correctly in theory. And I'm not even saying that our HOA is using the money in the best possible way, but I did kind of like hearing when they said, hey, this is how much we're charging, this is how much we've spent. I don't wanna hear, oh, there's this massive surplus. That tells me, why am I paying you all this money if there's this massive surplus and you have to figure out things of what you want to do with it? We were talking before a little bit off air about the student loan debt. That's kind of where you would get into that category where if all of a sudden you had the surplus and you had to start spending money to be able to upkeep and then tell people that you have to keep spending more and more, then that's the conversation that we'd be getting into. I don't feel like our specific HOA is doing that to us. So. I wanted to take this to the Facebook group because I bet we do have a variety of perspectives on this specific, very adulting issue. Mm -hmm. I asked the question, is your HOA a big part of your life? And if not, will you avoid living in a home with HOA dues at all costs? Like that's that's a deal breaker for you. You see, you're, you're going to see a house or something like that. And then the realtor tells you, oh, by the way, HOA is blah, blah, blah. If it's any number at all, you're like, nope, I'm out, let's see another house. What is your biggest HOA gripe? Have you been to an HOA meeting? And do you have, of course, any HOA horror stories? So, a lot of responses here. So, so many. Um, Mm -hmm. We're trying to get to as many of these as possible today. I feel like we always start with Drew Page, so we can't start with Drew Page today. Right. Uh, Let's go with this one from uh, Noah Sims. Actually, you know what? That's a little bit too long to start. We're gonna start with Randall Houston. Randall says, I pay $180 semi-annually just for them to do absolutely nothing about my neighbor's unmowed, weed-covered, sticker-ridden yards. 
sticker ridden, okay. Uh, spreading them into my manicured, treated, stickerless yard. But God forbid I leave my trash bins out one day too long because I'll get a snarky note with a picture of my bins in front of my house from an anonymous, nosy HOA council member. Yes, this happened in the last week and I'm still pissed. Does leaving your trash cans out imply that you're a trashy neighborhood? Because I actually think it does the opposite. I think that if you're making the active decision to have your trash cans out, to whether it's um, trash or it's recycling or if it's yard waste or something like that, you're putting them in the spot where it's supposed to be. If I'm driving through that neighborhood and even if I know it's not on that specific date, I at least process hey, people are actively finding a way to, to, to get rid of their trash. That's how They're I would process They are not hoarders. They are not hoarders, yes. Yes. So as opposed to having all of your trash piled up on the side of your house that I can see with my own two eyes every time I drive past it. So I don't really get why that would be a major sticking point. Like why you need to take the picture and put it on the doorstep. Like what, what are we doing here? What, like, get, if, if I ever got a message like that, then yes. I also would be very frustrated with HOA because it's like, okay, what if I was like away taking care of my my sick mom for for a day? Right. Like, clap back like that. Randall, I hope you have an excuse like that. That'd be great. <laughs> God. Yeah, that's, that's terrible. That's absurd. And so like we we're also the millennial homeowners. I don't know if I don't know if I've talked to you about this, but I'm like pretty sure most people thought we were drug dealers when we moved in because we're just very because like Everyone was kind of doing the math on us. It was like, hold on, you guys are like 25, 26. How, like, what's going on here? And like, thankfully, Brittany has a serious job because of what I explained to her, like, yeah, I make memes pretty much for a living. Now I can at least say I lead a meme department, like it's something. But so point being, like, I'm very glad that like we aren't put under a microscope like that because I just don't like that about life. I really just don't. And like, if... If you're like, we had that type of HO at my parents' house. Like they had these parking spots in front of everyone's house and we couldn't park in them. They were for like guest parking for like neighborhood events. You know what I'm saying? And we would, my parents- Very specific. Yeah, like my like if you're like going to the park, for instance, because there's like a park kind of near your house. And so my mom, very Cajun, you love my mom. Or like we've talked about my mom, like she's just a very, very out there person. We, we would get notices like that and I'd be like, uh, like she didn't care, obviously. She'd be like, all right, like what are you gonna do? Tow my car? Go ahead, tow my car, I don't care. <laughs> so like, yeah, there has to be a little bit of, you have to band together. Maybe unionize against the HOA if it's to that level. <laughs> if it's to that level, because that's just petty at that point. That's, that's where it crosses into somebody who's power hungry and who, if they're taking a picture like that with a snarky note. Right. Come on, and anonymous too? At least sign your name to it. Oh yeah, no, sign that, because we gonna have beef. Like, if uh, you're scared of what I gotta say to you, don't come talk to me. <laughs> yeah. Chris Howith says, HOAs are worse than Chad Morris. <laughs> yes, retweet. <laughs> All right. Uh, Noah Sims, Noah says, we recently entered a community with a big HOA. I had never been a part of one until this, and they charge us 150 bucks a month or so. Um, that's a good amount, that's a good amount. Um, they are too caught up with the prestige and procedurals of the HOA to actually improve anything. 
I have seen a gym upgrade be approved, scheduled, and funds appropriated get canceled because the Arbor Committee wants more sod and trees in one obscure part of the neighborhood. I have also seen HOA board elections be negated and unelected people installed in positions, he put that in air quotes, despite voting results. The board members are all ancient and are all virtually invisible to the community except for HOA ventures. They are also not at all representative of the age slash range interests of the rest of community we got here in September. Yikes. I don't know that you can do a lot to change that. I would be going to these meetings. Oh yes. That's, that's when you need to go. If you want, if you want to have a voice heard, and you feel like the people who represent your money, because that's what this is, it's your money, and it's going to be paid whether you like it or not, or else there's a collection agency, or else you can move. You should have a say in the way that it's being that it's those funds are being allocated. Some of the tree stuff, the beautification efforts, and all that, I get it to a certain extent. There's a line, right? That's pretty much what our HOA goes to. It is having an entryway that looks relatively nice. It has our neighborhood sign. We just, we helped out with putting in the mulch. It was on a fall Saturday. I even did it right before I got started watching a bunch of games and stuff like that. And all right, you gotta do that every so often. Happy to do it, happy to help. I think it makes the neighborhood a lot, look a lot better. I have no problem, that, that kind of makes me feel a little bit better turning into my neighborhood as opposed to seeing like a really crappy old sign and it looks like death. That makes an impact on the value of the house, in my opinion, and there's something to be said for that specific thing. Random trees here or there, ah. I'm not seeing that ROI, I'm not, just not. Now, the point that he brought up, gym upgrades, yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that can make a difference, that can absolutely make a difference. If you've been to a community that has a really well put together gym, and my, my uncle, uh, my aunt and uncle who live down, they live down in a, a very HOA heavy community, but they need that. Like mm -hmm. that's, that's what they signed up for, that's what they want, and everything was all inclusive, and it's, it's perfect for their lifestyle. Their gym's sweet, <laughs> and it looks the part. And for as active as they are at their age, and they're on the other side of 70 now, they, they will take advantage of that, and that will be a major sticking point for people like them, as opposed to a couple trees that may or may not make any difference whatsoever with the way that the property is perceived. So, um, gosh, Noah, hope it gets better, man. That's, Noah, that's I just, brutal. I just want to say, man, this is an intervention. Um, I think you're at a cult. Just going to be honest with you. Uh, you are paying $2,000 a year to apparently be part of some type of thing where they're just, there's like mutinies going on, bro. Like, like exactly what Connor said. Like you gotta like, not that it's the opposite of your fault. You're one of the good people, but I'm just letting you know based on this information you have told me, like I said, unionize your HOA within your HOA because you need to get some young people together, some cool people of, of all ages and be like, hey guys, we voted for this. This is not, you know, Tiananmen Square. <laughs> you can't just install figurehead leaders to allocate my money that I pay. And if you start doing the math on that 2000 times, even like 12, houses is like a lot of money so like yeah i would literally be like hey dude like it's fine we're obviously all paying this money but we just this is no taxation without representation dog like this is why we're a country right now is stuff like this so yeah i'm i'm mad for you bro i actually came away from that thinking it could be worse than 150 bucks a month i'm not trying to like speak on anybody's income or anything like that but usually an hoa that's as anal as that is more than 150 bucks a month right yeah, that's fair like I would say that, you know, there, some of these you hear about, they're like three, 400 bucks a month. It's like, that's, dang, you go to, if you went to a small town 
and had 300, 400 bucks a month. That's a month's rent. Yeah, no, for sure. That's way, way different. So yeah, uh, hope, hope it gets better for you. Lauren Jefford says, one, great in theory, but not great in practice. HOAs mm -hmm. somehow put a stranglehold on a community while making sure said community is pristine. Uh, two, let me do what I want with my trash can, please. And three, uh, heck no, as in she has not been to an HOA meeting. I think everybody should go to an HOA meeting. That, that, was, that, that was my takeaway. I'm not saying it's a bucket list thing or anything like that. But I, I, I will say there, there is something to be said for at least having, um, I, I, think it, I think it helps kind of craft your approach, right? However heated that, that approach is, and based on the way some of these comments have gone so far, I, I understand why many of you are heated. But I think there is something to be said for, for being in person. And sometimes these people just kind of need to hear like, oh, y'all are spending this much on stamps? What do, we don't need to do that. <laughs> what, we, we can figure out a better way. We can, we can make this happen and that's gonna make more people happy. And then just kind of getting your foot in the door to be heard by some of these suggestions, they want input. Mm -hmm. I, I think there are some that don't. I, I absolutely think there's something to be said for that. Some people are just gonna do things their own way and that's kind of why they sign up for power hungry positions like an HOA board. But I do think there are some that legitimately would like that feedback and they would like to feel like, hey, we have community involvement here and our funds aren't being put in really stupid places. So that's my that, that would be my advice. Again, not everybody's in the same situation, but I think everybody should go to at least one HOA meeting. Are you gonna go to one HOA meeting, Well, I've been to one. I, yeah, I, when we got, I think our actual annual one's like coming up. This is making me remember that I need to like do some stuff. Nice. Uh, but yeah, this is, this is great. See, this is why we're a live podcast. <laughs> Krista uh, Kissinger says, avoid, 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 unless you uh, will get voluntold by the neighbors to do it. All right. Um, here's, I understand, we talked about this a little bit off air. The, how, what sort of legal recourse is there if you just decide not to pay HOA? Mm -hmm. If you go to certain neighborhoods, certain communities, whatever, they might not have a collection agency or they might not have the means within their own board to truly be able to enforce the agreed upon HOA um, guidelines that, that everybody, if you have your house and you're part of an HOA community, like you sign those papers or else you didn't get your house. Mm -hmm. That's just the way that it works. So I am one of those people I, I'm one, I, like, if I didn't want a house, I would just not sign up for it in the first place. I wouldn't then raise a stink thereafter about it mm -hmm. and kind of seeing the way that it's perceived by others. And yes, there are, there are certain situations that are way different than others. And if all of a sudden your HOA skyrockets and they try and force that, you should absolutely push back on that. I have no problem, especially if you are not seeing that results. Those results show up all over the community if that's not what you signed up for, especially if you feel like it's not adding any value to your house. You need to be able to speak up on that. And if there's some sort of protest or resistance movement, then that's a different discussion for a different time. But if it's, hey, you signed up to be able to, to pay this, and you just decide you don't want to do it. You shouldn't have lived there. <laughs> right. Yeah. That. <laughs> right. Ultimately, the decision you have, like you said, is is to not buy the house. And yeah, like the way Brittany explained it is like you have a house, right? And then if the neighbors decide to all kind of like make HOA at that point, you can try to squash that. But once it's already been done, like before you, yeah. 
you can't get out. And so it's like, yeah, like what's the what's the governing body? It's the state of whatever. Like the state of Georgia, you have to do it. Like there's just no way. Like you said, ultimately, like that one dude, like the Ron Swanson in your neighborhood who just doesn't want to pay. Like yeah. in theory, they could really just put a lead on his house if they wanted to or come after him. Like and there's nothing. And that was discussed. As, yeah, as weird as it is, like they're almost being nice by not doing that because if you have a 40 person HOA or whatever and everyone's contributing, then like that guy's the jerk. You know what I'm saying? There's apparently four people who are not contributing, mm-hmm. and the one the one person is like, it's it's been a thing for a very long time. And somebody in our HOA meeting like slammed the table and said, "Why are we not changing this? Why is it up to 17 other people, 17 other households to cover what what a few are not willing to do? Have you ever? Um, and this is a, a different, a smaller scale example here, but. Have you ever been like the commissioner of a fantasy sports league or you've done a March Madness pool or something like that and it's your job to collect all the money mm-hmm. and you have somebody who just doesn't want to pay and it sucks and you are left sitting there like, all right, well, thanks. Now I just have to cover this out of my own pocket or I have to get, I have to raise the fee for other people. Like for, for my brother's bachelor party, I thought I was going to be in a really awkward situation because I had collected money for you know Airbnb and all the stuff that we were paying for ahead of time. And like two weeks before the bachelor party, I found out that one of my, my, my brother's friends wasn't gonna be able to go and he had something he had something to come up and whatever. And so I was like, well, crap, like, do I now go back to these nine or 10 other guys and ask them for more money mm-hmm. because this person decided at the last minute that they didn't wanna pay? Do I cover it myself? Do I try and ask this person if they can pay for something that they aren't really a part of? And he just ended up paying for it and I was really, really grateful because it took away from what would have been an awkward situation. Right. But not all situations are like that. And not, there are certain times in which you kind of just decide, oh, well, you know, not my problem. I guess it's somebody else's problem. And that kind of sucks. I don't know. I just, I've been in enough of those situations trying to collect money from people for, you know, being commissioner for various things. And I don't know, it's just just not ideal. That's a um, topic for another day for sure. But I feel like the older I get, the less I want to be that person for fantasy sports. And it's like, I guess those, just annoying. I guess those people turn into HOA people because it's very similar. It's like, you don't get this money. This money doesn't turn into your money. You're just yeah, taking just don't do this it. money from other people, like for the HOA situation. It's like, so if you're really anal about like, like not the one guy who's like are tardy all the time, but the people that have these ridiculous HOAs, it's like, what benefit do you really see from this? I don't know, like it, that's, it's weird. Yeah. Uh, let's go to this one from uh, uh, Benny Hanna. Benny says, I for one am an introvert and have lived in the entirety of my life on agricultural zoned rural land. If I were a wealthier man, I'd make a real attempt at modern homesteading. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I don't foresee HOAs ever being a part of my life. I didn't really either, to be 100% honest with you. And when we were shown this house, it, I was so new to the home buying process, I didn't even really acknowledge the fact that, oh, there's like an entryway and that has to be upkept and there, there are mailboxes and stuff. There's community mailboxes. Like we don't each have our own mailbox on our property. We have like a community mailbox. There's like four of them scattered within, you know, within our little area. And I, I didn't really even fully understand that. And then when they told us, as we're looking at the house, these are what the HOA fees would be. We're kind of like, oh yeah, whatever. We'll just throw that in there. And it wasn't necessarily this big sticking point for us. Having said that, every single time I ever watched House Hunters before I owned a home, I thought to myself, oh, 
That's why you don't live in a home that has HOA fees. I can mow my own lawn. I'm 31 years old. I can do the upkeep. I'm not really worried about that. I had never heard of my parents dealing with any sort of HOA fee or anything like that in their, in their neighborhood. So I just assumed, all right, if I live in a neighborhood kind of like my parents, then surely I'll be able to, to live, live a life and not have to worry about the HOA deal. But you get to certain communities and that's just kind of what it is. And some places it's obviously a much bigger deal than others, but um, yeah, there are a lot of people listening to this who are like, I'll never have an HOA fee and I will never want one in my life. And that's perfectly fine. This guy, Vinny Hanna is an absolute king. I just had to look up what homesteading <laughs> is, I'll be honest with you. Apparently it's if you live in a self-sufficient little housing like pod situation, not pod, but like you just grow your own house. If you look up homesteading, there are lots of pictures of chickens. So bro, live your dream, bro. Just get you those chickens, get you some crops, just never talk to anybody. That sounds rad. I'm glad John doesn't like listen to this podcast because the sports element, because if he learned what this was, I'd never see him again. That sounds awesome. Yeah. <laughs> John would do something. John would be, he tried to do this and then he realized how long his commute would be before COVID. He was like, mm. I, I can't maintain my chickens and commute an hour and a half. Gotta make a decision. Tough. Very, very tough. Uh, a couple more here. Let's get to this one from Kobe Black. Kobe says, uh, we didn't have them much when I lived in Tennessee, only in the higher end neighborhoods, uh, but they are everywhere in Arizona, it seems like. Ours is bad, we pay almost $100 a month, and there were literally people driving around looking for infractions. Oh gosh, hardos, get over yourself. I got a letter for bringing my garbage cans out too early a day before because I get home late at night. They threatened to find me if I didn't remove them within two days, but we always remove them the day they are emptied. <sighs> this is when you get into the retiree category oh, of boy. this. If that's how it's being enforced and you're just running into people that have nothing to do and all day to do it, good luck, man. That sucks. That, that's when it gets to the point where you need to be able to go to meetings and push back and say, hey, this is my situation here, so how about you don't do that anymore? How about you don't? How about you worry about something else that's actually worth your time? And uh, I promise you I will not lower the value of our neighborhood by putting my can out the night, the night before because I work late. How about we come to an understanding on that and you guys just you know, find something else to do with your time. I'm not saying all Arizona communities are retirement <laughs> communities. Anti-Arizona community podcast, you heard it here first. Love the state of Arizona. Love the state of Arizona. Cannot wait to go back to Grand Canyon, the Slot Canyons, all those different things. Got a lot of things I'd like to be able to do out in Arizona, but come on, let's, Let's use our time a little bit more more productively. That's um, when you hit them with the, uh, hey man, I don't have the kind of time you do, so if you want to pick up my trash cans, bro, that's on you. If it bothers you enough to send me an email, bro, you could have just picked up my trash can. They, we could have both been happy here. And I shouldn't say that's a retiree thing because I'm pretty sure the majority of our HOA board is retirees, mm -hmm. but they do not act like that. There's right. no way whatsoever. Like we left our trash cans out, I think for three days once because we were out of town and never, ever, ever, ever did I hear anything about that and any sort of deal or, I mean, that's just, that's absurd. All right, we'll end with this one. Um, we'll end with this from uh, Michael Dark. Michael says, uh, HOAs are Dan Mullen of associations. We are currently in our second one and have experienced both ends of the spectrum. The first gladly took our money and provided absolutely nothing. And our current one takes pictures of each house monthly and mails you said picture with annotations about what's wrong with your house. 
Our house is a new build and the builder put in the wrong mailbox. We were warned twice in the past two weeks to fix it. If I see Joey in the neighborhood, it's fade on sight. <laughs> Whoa. Okay. Um, Damon is a is a hope merchant. That's the way that yes. you phrase it, right? Hope merchant. We didn't even get to their signing day, but hey, man, it's the, the jokes are ongoing. I like that we got about a, a year, six months of mileage out of the Dan Mullen jokes. I'm really, I'm glad that we're still in that little sweet spot. Yes. Uh, okay. If they're taking a picture of your house, what are they doing to enforce it besides just bothering you? If there's nothing wrong with your house whatsoever and they just want to continue to take pictures of it and send it to you, I would just laugh and, and move along. If they, if they are, tr I don't know what they would truly enforce with your mailbox because you, they can't just up and, they can't just uproot your mailbox. They can't evict you, I don't think, for having the wrong mailbox to their style, especially if the builder that you had put in the wrong one, that doesn't really make a lot of sense because I would assume that the builder would have some sort of affiliation with the HOA to begin with, right? Like there would be this common understanding of, hey, HOA understands this is the way that the house is supposed to look. You're gonna have a very specific set of guidelines and it's up to the people who build on your property to be able to, to kind of follow that. But it's, I would think that it's all funneled through them. Like you're not bringing in your own outside construction company. Maybe I'm wrong and I'm misinterpreting that. But that's a weird hill to die on. A mailbox, really? Why? Just, we have, we have so much, uh, and I came into this hoping to preach the, the benefits of HOA in a, in a certain way, to a certain extent. But there are, and I'm reminded of this, so many different people who just need to get better things to do with their time. Like anything <laughs> in your community, man, just get active, bro. Just, you know what I'm saying? Your local elections, your local HOA, that's where real change happens. Yeah. So if you got this dude Joey out here, you know what I'm saying? Guess where you're going to see him, that HOA meeting. And he's going to have to see you. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's going to be paid on site. So that's what I'm saying. Like at the end of the day, if they're trying to, if they're trying to get you in this mailbox dilemma, hey, <laughs> so when you put a meeting, send them a Zoom link. Be like, hey, bro, look, we got to talk, me and you, buddy. How creepy is that too? Do they just go around? If they're taking pictures of your house every single week, are they just like out in front of your house as, as much as, you know, they, they just pull up and they're, they're sitting there in the street or on the sidewalk and they're like, oh, time for our neighborhood picture. Put a little our, QR code on your mailbox, Michael. That sends them to like some type of appropriate website. <laughs> That's what I do. See, I'm an agent of chaos here. Oh gosh. Great responses though. Thank you to everybody who contributed Saturday Down South podcast on Facebook. I wanted to mention one more awesome new initiative that we've got going um, on Saturday Down South. Blue Chip Grit is our, our new basketball newsletter. That's a mouthful. New basketball newsletter that our guy Adam Spencer launched with the help of Dustin Schutte, Spencer Davis, and Derek Peterson. Um, I'm telling you right now that if you have any interest whatsoever in college basketball or you want an easy way to do some bracket prep, you don't want to be cramming last minute doing all that stuff. You want to just, just get yourself a little bit informed right now in February. Now's the time to do it. This is a fantastic resource to be able to use. Our team will keep you up to date with all of the big storylines across college basketball and with your specific team. It is free. It just shows up in your email. You can add in your favorite team so you have all your, your, your team's news highlighted, all those different things. All you have to do is go to bluechipgrit.com 
bluechipgrit.com. That's bluechipgrit.com. Put in your name, put in your email address, and your team, boom, just like that, you have become a more informed college, college basketball fan. New newsletter, get on it. Still do our old newsletter, of course, Saturday.football, still do that, still keep tabs on that, but this is something that I know college basketball fans are really, really gonna like. If you have not, leave us a five-star review for this podcast, subscribe to all of our podcasts, College Football Uncensored, Saturday Lives Forever, if you have not already done that. Join the Facebook group, hear your name, Red On Air, with Figuring Out, or Bold and Brash. Thanks, guys. Talk soon.